Um, before I start, I want to just say, I don't know how closely uh, y'all knew Jerry. I know that, of course, we all know Mike and Carrie and, and Mike's kids. And uh, Jerry came and he would preach on uh, the first Sunday of every year. And I think he preached there this year, I mean, preached here this year. Unfortunately, I was out of town. Uh, I got to travel with Jerry for three summers back in 78, 79, and 80. And uh, Jerry was probably one of the two or three smartest men I ever knew. Uh, all of you see Jerry, you know, standing up preaching and then shaking hands afterwards. Maybe you've had him over to your house for a meal. I traveled with Jerry. We'd go hold meetings. We'd leave for, go for a week. And the uh, funny thing about Jerry is he'd have a eight or ten hour drive from Lindsay, Oklahoma, maybe down to Houston or Amarillo or something. And he would wait. Of course, the meeting started Sunday morning. Jerry would wait until Saturday afternoon to change the oil on the car and rotate the tires and run and pick up some stuff. And so we would leave. You know, you think you got a 10-hour drive, you're going to leave, you know, 9 or 10 Saturday morning. I uh, would leave 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And, uh, and then Sunday when the meeting is over, he is in a hurry to get home to his family. We spent a lot of nights driving late at night, you know, West Texas and Oklahoma. And uh, spent a lot of nights with... Uh, would be at a meeting, and then there might be another evangelist to show up. And after the meeting, we'd go over to the house wherever we were staying, and, and Jerry and this other evangelist stay up late. I remember one time in Altus, Oklahoma, I just couldn't stay awake any longer. I was listening to Jerry, and I can't remember the guy, and they were talking about Isaiah and all these prophecies, and Jerry wouldn't, he didn't even have the Bible out, he didn't have any notes, he just had all this stuff in his head, and they were talking about all this stuff in the Bible. Jerry and I sometimes, I stayed at his house a lot, and I remember one night, everyone else is in bed. It was late. It was, you know, kids had to get up and go to school the next day. And it was 10, or, you know, 10. It was 11 or midnight. Jerry would sit there at the table, and he would say, he talked about evolution. He said, do you realize? And he would talk about carbon dating. He didn't have any notes. He just had all this stuff in his head. We had talked to late hours at night, and he would tell me about evolution and all the problems with it. He was the smartest man I ever knew. And he's also one of the best men I ever knew. If I had to list the... The three best men I ever knew, Jerry, would be at the top. And so uh, we have had a great loss. But I'm sure that right now there's a, a lot of rejoicing in heaven. So I just, uh, you know, we talked about Paul and Peter and the apostles and, and uh, great men like that. Uh, Jerry's up there at the top with those guys. So we're having a... Uh, um, a series on David, King David, a man after God's own heart. And one of the events that was in David's life took place, you can read about it in Second Samuel chapter 6 and also First Chronicles 13. They both tell the same story. The ark was what, when uh, Moses and the Israelites had left Egypt and they were out in the wilderness and God gave them the Old Testament, or for them it was the New Testament, it was the only one they'd ever had. God gave them the Old Testament and he told them how to build a tabernacle. He told them that the Levite tribe was going to be the priest. And he gave them all these directions for how they were to worship him. And one of the things they were supposed to build was the Ark of the Covenant. The Covenant's an agreement, you know, the Old Testament. So they had an Ark. Now, Ark simply means a box. We read about Noah's Ark. Well, it was just a, a big box, basically. It wasn't a, a cruise liner. Anyway, they had to build an Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was made out of acacia wood. And it was uh, two and a half cubits. Now, a cubit 
is from here to here. And I've read it, that's anywhere from 17 and a half inches to 20 inches. And the arc was two and a half cubits, so the arc would have been anywhere from 40 to 50 inches, 45 to 50 inches, maybe about this big. It was uh, about 27 to 30 inches wide, which is about what we've got right here. And then it was about 27 to 31 inches tall. So the Ark of the Covenant was almost this big. And I looked up some pictures of it. Of course, no one knows now what it looked like, but it was covered in gold. And on top was the mercy seat, and then it had two cherubim, and, the, and their wings stretched out over the mercy seat. There's one on each side, and their wings touched. And all this was covered with gold. So when you get home today, part of your homework is look up Ark of the Covenant images and look at some of the pictures that people have imagined what it looked like. Very, very beautiful. Now, this was holy, and no one was supposed to touch it. Nobody was supposed to touch it. The way they carried this is there were four rings, one in each corner, and they had the poles made out of it, or staffs made out of acacia wood, and these two were covered in gold. And so they would pass these uh, staffs or rods or whatever through the rings, one on each side, and then four of the priests would carry it. And so they'd get under it, and they would lift it, and this is how they moved it. No one was supposed to touch it. And inside, there were three items. That's your homework. Go find out what three items were inside the ark. Well, in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles 15, the ark, the Israelites didn't have anymore. It was off in the field. And that's also some of your homework. Find out why they didn't have the ark. 1 Chronicles 13, in verse 1, David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the congregation of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in the, all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, that they may gather together to us, and let us bring the ark of our God back to us, to us, for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Now I looked this up, and if I didn't miss anything, Saul was king for 40 years, and then David became king, and he'd already been king for a few years. Saul was dead at this point. And so it looks to me like the last time they had anything to do with the ark was before Saul was king, which is over 40 years ago. So we might can make a few assumptions about that later. It says in verse 6, So David and all Israel went up to Bala, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah, and Uzzah and Ahau drove the cart. Now it says, Then David and all Israel, can we turn the volume down a little bit? It's ringing, it's echoing. And when they came to Chidon's, oh, it says, David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. So this was a really big deal. The ark had been gone for a long time, and they're bringing it back. So David, the king of Israel, and everybody's having this huge celebration, similar maybe to what we would have a 4th of July parade or something. But they weren't doing it like God said. Remember, you got four rings and, and rods, and the Levites carried on their shoulder, and no one's supposed to touch it. How did it say that they were doing it? It says, uh, they carried the ark of God on a new cart. That's not anywhere in the instructions. Why did they do that? Well, it doesn't say. We can have some assumptions, but it just doesn't say. 
Maybe they just didn't want to do it the other way. Maybe they forgot how they were supposed to do it. Maybe no one bothered to read it, even though the directions were written down. I found out doing pools, you can learn a lot reading the directions. When they came to Chiden's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. In other words, here this gold-covered ark of the covenant was about to fall off, and he reached up to hold it. And it says, the anger of the Lord was aroused when Uzzah, or against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And you say, that's not fair. Well, by what we believe, it's sure not. David was a king. He, wasn't he ultimately responsible? What about the Levites? It was their job to, do, to minister to God. Did they not know? Did they not speak up? Why did God pick on Uzzah? It doesn't say. Why did God not strike everyone dead? We could argue about that all day long. But poor Uzzah, he's the one that received the, the brunt of God's anger. And so I want to talk about Uzzah for a little while this morning. And, and basically what I've read is all it says. It doesn't say anything about motives or guilt or innocence. It just says that Uzzah was struck dead. So I may say some things about Uzzah that the Bible doesn't necessarily say. I may be making some assumptions, but just for the lesson's sake, we'll do that. If you want to argue, we can do that later. There's four lessons we can get from Uzzah, the story of Uzzah. Four lessons that apply to you and me. One is that you can be sincere and wrong. What kind of man do you think Uzzah would have been if he's sitting there driving the cart and the oxen stumble and the cart starts rocking? We're going to go pick up a refrigerator today and drive 50 miles, and I hope that refrigerator doesn't rock and fall over. And that's what Uzzah basically had. And he looked, and it's about to fall. Would you just stand back and let it fall? No human would do that. Uzzah was sincere. I mean, he was trying to save the ark of God, but he died. And you and I can, can be sincere and still be wrong. In Acts chapter 18, we read about a man named Apollos, and the Bible speaks very highly of him. It says there was a certain, in Acts 18 verse 24, there was a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria. And listen to what the Bible says about him. He says he was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the scriptures. Uh, says he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. In uh, verse 28, later when he went to preach, it says, uh, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is a Christ. Well, wouldn't we like to have Apollos here for a meeting? It sounds like a pretty good guy, doesn't it? We look back in verse 25 at the end. Talks about how good he was. Says, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now this is an Acts after Jesus had died and been resurrected and the church had been started. When you're baptized, what are you baptized? You're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Well, Apollos didn't know that. He was out teaching Christians and he didn't even know one of the basics of Christianity. If Paulus can be, Apollos can be wrong, 
you and I can be sincere and be wrong also. Jesus said the same thing. He said in Matthew 7, verse 21, the Sermon on the Mount, He said, many, talking about Judgment Day, He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in Your name and cast out demons? And He says, I will profess to them, I never knew You. Depart from me. Now these aren't people that are atheists or people that are in other religions and believe in other gods. These are Christians. He said, they asked Jesus, they haven't we done a lot of things in your name? They've gone to church and donated money and stuff. Jesus said, I, I don't know you. Now, we can get into that some other time, but these were sincere people. And they get to judgment day and they're surprised. Now, if they can be wrong, you and I can also be wrong. In Acts chapter 26, Paul was just like Apollos. He's before Agrippa and he's telling the, what happened to him. And he says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 4, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation, he was a Jew, he's talking about the Jewish nation, among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They uh, see. Um, let's see. Okay, they knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul says, of all the Pharisees, I was one of the best. Of all the Jews, I was one of the best. He says in verse nine, though, I indeed myself thought. I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So here is a very, very devout Jew. He was able to say, I have lived uh, my life in all good conscience. In other words, from the time I was born, I have always followed what I thought was right. But he was still wrong. He was arresting Christians. He was having them tortured. He was having them thrown in jail. He was causing them to blaspheme. He was uh, getting them executed. But he was sincere. Now, if Paul can be that way, you and I can be that way. He said, I thought we can be sincere and be wrong. Another lesson that we can get from Uzzah is we can be wrong and not know it. Now, I don't know how much Uzzah knew about the law. Like I said, I think it had been 40 years or more since it had anything to do with the ark. I don't know if Uzzah was a priest. I don't know anything about Uzzah except his name, and he touched the ark and he died. But Uzzah, let's just assume for a moment, was wrong and just didn't know it. Do you think if he had known he would have done that? I don't think so. He didn't set out to make God mad. But unfortunately, when people make God angry, it's often out of ignorance. We talked about the people in Matthew chapter 7 that on Judgment Day say, didn't we do a lot of things in your name? Christian works. Uh, Hebrew, uh, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When people make God angry, it's often out of ignorance. There was a policy we already talked about. Fortunately, he didn't suffer the wrath of God, but he didn't know. In Matthew 15 and verse 14, Jesus says, If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into the ditch. 
and I picture a, a blind man, and he's follow, got some other people following along, and, and they're just walking along, and they fall into the ditch. Do you think they wanted to? Of course not. Nobody wants to. Do you think if they knew it was there, they would have just walked into it and fallen into it? Of course not. We can be wrong and not know it. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You think you know what you're talking about and think you're, you're right, and smart, and got everything figured out? Be careful. You might fall. I've heard the expression, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Third lesson that we can learn from Uzzah is that you can be wrong with everybody else. Remember the first of uh, that chapter we read about Uzzah? David called for all Israel and all the priests, and then they all came and they all had this big party or parade or whatever, and they were all out there dancing. Which of those died? It just talks about Uzzah. Now, Uzzah could have said, well, everybody else is out here with me. Everyone else is doing it. I didn't build the cart. It wasn't my idea to do this. Look at all the other people. We can be wrong with everyone else. Uh, Jesus said the same thing that, uh, well, Jim Rohn said, if you're doing it like everybody else, you're probably doing it wrong. You know, parents used to, uh, you know, talk, tell us not to follow the crowd. Jesus says the same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. He says there's two gates. He says one leads to heaven, leads to salvation. The other leads to hell and destruction. This is the bigger gate. Why? Because there's a lot of people going in that gate. Why are there a lot of people going in that gate? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But the important thing to remember is we can be wrong with everyone else. And I'll tell you another way that we can be wrong. And that's in the church. Now we know to look out for false teachers. Jesus talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. But there's also another danger that faces Christians, and this one's even maybe more dangerous. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was traveling. He'd called for the Ephesian elders to come to uh, Miletus, where Paul was. And Paul talked to them. And one of the things that Paul talks about in Acts chapter 20, he says, For, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves shall come in among you, not sparing the flock. Of course, we understand that analogy. Uh, false teachers coming in and destroying God's people, teaching, teaching false things. But Paul warns also, who's he talking to? He's talking to the elders. He says, also, from your own selves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them, after themselves. He says, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone uh, night and day with tears. 
you realize that most of the false teachings that have been brought into Jesus' church were started in the church from elders and teachers? Someone gets an idea and they, they look for scriptures that they can kind of twist around and make it say what they want to and then they preach it. And the people say, yeah, Yancey preached it. Yancey's a good guy. It must be right. And so they go along with it. Six months later, Matt teaches something else and go, yeah, we need to do that. And that's how all these denominations got started. When you read the New Testament, when you read Acts and then, uh, Jesus' life, you know, the Gospels, there was only one church. Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. He didn't say churches. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. People say, well, we're all going the same place, just different ways. That doesn't sound very unified to me. There's only one church. And all these problems that have been brought in, all these divisions often are from within the church. You say, but, but Yancey's a good guy. He would never deceive us. Well, Yancey could be sincere and be wrong, or he could be deceitful and be wrong. Paul warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 13, he talks about people, he's talking about a problem they're having in Corinth, and he's, or a problem that Paul is dealing with. And he says that these men are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself also transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. I saw a video recently on, on Facebook, and uh, even if this particular video wasn't true, the same thing happens to people. This guy says he got a notification from his bank that his card had been compromised and they needed to close it and he needed to, uh, uh, I don't know, go to this site and, and close his card or click on this link. So he did that and he said, we'll send you a text message to confirm. So they sent a text message to confirm and he did this. And he tells this whole thing and it all sounds legitimate and I would have fallen for it too. They cleaned out his bank account. Now how did they do that? Did they do that by looking like scam artists? by warning them up front what they were going to do? Or did they do that by looking like a legitimate bank, a legitimate email, a legitimate text? And when you want to uh, destroy the church, it's easy to do. You just got to act like you're sincere. John wrote in uh, his three letters, 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. For many, he says, many false teachers are gone out. Now, when we talk to our friends, we talk about the difference between the church they go to and the church we go to. Well, well, we're just all going the same place, just different ways. Well, that's just the way that I interpret the Bible. That's not what John said. John said, you need to test the people that you listen to and see whether or not they've got. He says, many Many false teachers are gone out. Do any of your friends that go to another denomination, do any of them ever talk about false teachers? No. They don't want to talk about that. 
but Paul, uh, John warned that there's a lot of false teachers. And the last lesson that we can learn from Uzzah is that we're ultimately responsible for ourselves. Now, if you and I were lawyers and we were going to defend Uzzah, we could come up with dozens of reasons why it was David's fault or the Levite's fault or, or whatever. We could come up with a lot of really, really good reasons to defend poor Uzzah. But in the end, he still paid the price. He was ultimately responsible for what he did, even though he had a lot of good excuses. We talked about in Matthew chapter 7 where people say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in your name? There are going to be a lot of people lost who didn't expect it. And that's why Paul wrote the Ephesians, uh, the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we can have you know, good preachers up here. I can be up here, Yancey, Matt, whoever. But it's still your responsibility to open up the Bible and to see if what I'm saying matches what God says. It's your responsibility. You remember years ago when Willie Nelson was in trouble with the IRS because he owed him like $18 million? Well, Willie Nelson's a guitar player and a songwriter. He's not an accountant. He had accountants working for them, doing his taxes. He didn't know anything about that. But something went wrong. Someone made a mistake or stole money or something. And who'd the IRS come after? They came after Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson is ultimately responsible for his taxes, just like you and I are responsible for our soul. And so with something as important it's where we'll spend eternity. You and I need to put some effort into it. I've heard it said that a lot of people spend more time planning their vacation than planning where they're going to spend eternity. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul had been preaching in Thessalonica and they didn't want to hear what he had to say and so they ran him out of town. <clears throat> so then he went to Berea and he says, when they arrived there, they went into the synagogues of the Jews. And Luke records, these were more fair-minded, or they, uh, old King James says, more noble. These were better people than the ones in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And so you may not be a preacher, but it's still your responsibility to get the book out and see if what we teach and what we believe is according to the scriptures. I think I've told you years ago, uh, I met Mike when he was 15. And uh, so we were best friends for years. And we went through a spell where we would take something that we believed and we would re-examine it to see if we were really right about it, maybe we hadn't been taught wrong. And so we would just like start fresh and we would uh, work on certain topics like baptism or, or women teachers or, or whatever just to make sure 
that we hadn't somewhere along the way gotten, uh, gotten muzzled or, or been taught something wrong. And the reason that we need to do this is because God has appointed a day when he's going to judge us all by our works, by our words. And on judgment day, it's going to be Zach standing there by himself. He's not going to have all the congregation around him to say, well, this is what they taught me. Trevor's going to be there by himself. Everyone's going to be there. And we're going to have to face God. And God, unlike parents, sometimes we take bad excuses from our kids. God's not going to take any excuses. You can't say, my preacher told me, the elders told me, my family. It's just going to be you out there by yourself. I think I mentioned two weeks ago, we... uh, we were at a trial of a friend from church. And unfortunately, he was convicted. And it was just him up there. Now, we were sitting, you know, they were up there. We were sitting back there watching, but he was a guy on trial. And so we're ultimately responsible for ourselves. And so we need to spend more time looking into where we're going to spend eternity than we do planning our 401k and our, and our vacations and our new house and, and stuff like this. So going back to the story of Uzzah, First Chronicles chapter um, 15. So after this happened, they didn't know what to do, so they just left the ark sitting there for a while. And then... Um, <clears throat> In 1 Chronicles 15, David says to the people, the priests, to all the priests, he says, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord broke out against us. Why? Because we did not consult him about the proper order. Remember the little bracelets and stuff that people used to wear? I don't know if it's still popular. It says, what would Jesus do? We need a little bracelet that says, what does God say? People say, well, my preacher says this, or my parents taught me this, or, or this book says this, or this video says this. What does God say? David says the problem that we had is that we didn't find out what God had to say about it. And so the lessons this morning that we can get from Uzzah is we can be sincere and still be lost. We can be lost with everyone else, and we can be lost and not know it. And then like Uzzah, we're ultimately the one that's going to pay the price. So think about these things, and next time you're listening, you're reading the Bible, you're watching a video, you're reading an article, you need to compare what this says with what this says and see if they match up. Test the spirits. We have a song that we sometimes call the invitation song. And uh, while we sing this song, we need to think about our souls and the, the, the lives that we're living and what Jesus wants us to do. And if there's a change that you need to make in your life, make your mind up today to make that change. Think about it while we stand and sing.